God is holy, holy, holy. And what a privilege, what a blessing it is to be able to take time this morning to come before holy God and to give him honor and to give him praise. Doug and the worship choir, thank you so much for leading us through that time of worship and song. And again, we ask that you open your Bibles, wherever you are, to Luke chapter 5 as we look at verses 12 through 32. As Pastor Sam has uh, just mentioned, we are returning to our study of the Gospel of Luke. Um, we have looked at uh, Luke uh, to see how uh, God has blessed him and his unique look into the life of our, our Lord and our Lord's ministry. And as we come to chapter 5, uh, we're looking at uh, this segment of Luke's story under the, the heading of Kingdom Authority. Kingdom Authority. And just by a quick way of review, earlier, Pastor Sam uh, delivered a powerful message at the first 11 verses of chapter 5. Uh, he spoke from the topic of a king-sized encounter, a king-sized encounter. And so many wonderful points that were brought out in that message, but there, there was one in particular uh, that I thought would be a good launching pin uh, into our time together this morning. And, and Pastor Sam said the following, and, and I quote, anyone who calls out in confession and humility will never, ever have to fear Christ. However, self-righteous churchgoers who are seeking to earn credit with God so that they may live any way that they want to, then die and go to be with the Lord, need to be very afraid of God. They need to be very afraid of God. And, and I think Pastor Sam was, was, was saying that we, we need to be careful of which group that we fall into. Is it these self-righteous church goers? Or is it humble confessors? Uh, these two groups are going in two different directions. And that's the contrast that is so often found when we looked at the look at stories contained in the Gospels. And when we look at Luke 12 through 32, we once again will see this sharp contrast. I'm so appreciative of Elder Falconer this morning coming and, and reading those passages for us. Uh, Damon, you did a wonderful job with that, and, and thank you so very much. What are the three stories that are contained in these verses? Well, there's the story of Jesus healing the leper in verses 12 through 16. There's a story of Jesus healing a paralyzed man in verses 17 through 26. And, and then Jesus in verses 27 through 32 tells us that marvelous story of the calling of a tax collector. Now, these three stories are, are all part of an overarching narrative that, that Luke is presenting in this segment of his gospel to introduce the ministry of our Lord here on earth. It's the ministry that Christ had come 
uh, from glory uh, to fulfill the, the unique ministry that only Jesus Christ himself could do. Now, each of these stories presents a unique little snapshot. Uh, I'd like to think of them as little stories with big points. And each of these stories, indeed, uh, could fill a message on their own accord. But obviously this morning we don't have the time to do that. So what I want to do is go into each of those stories, pick out a few of the salient points, and then tie them all together at the end. Now here's the main point. The main point is this, that Jesus has come to earth to reconcile lost sinners to holy God. To God that is holy, holy, holy. And as we look at these stories, it's, it's very tempting to get lost in the spectacular wonder of the miracles that Jesus will be performing. And if we fall to this temptation, it's easy to miss the big picture of what Jesus is up to. But I'm going to take some specific points from each of these stories uh, to make sure that we understand how Jesus is using his kingdom authority to address the issue of sin. Uh, there are three points uh, that I want to make as we look at Jesus' authority. He had the authority to heal. Jesus had the authority to forgive. And Jesus had the authority to call. Let's take a look at that first one. Jesus' authority to heal. Uh, again, we have these, these stories that uh, make up a narrative uh, in, in this entire scope of Luke's message. Uh, the first one, as we've mentioned, is the story of the leper. Now look, leprosy was a dreaded disease. There's some interesting characteristics about that disease during that time. First of all, there was no known cure for the disease. It was not until 1873 when Dr. G. H. Henson, a Norwegian physician, was able to identify the bacteria that causes leprosy and now, of course, we have an effective treatment for that disease. Uh, the disease at that time was believed to be spread by airborne transmission and physical contact. In order to be cured of the disease, you had to go and take a test. That's verse 14. You had to go and take the test, but the test wasn't free. You had to make an offering. And then after taking the test, you, along with anyone else that had come into contact with you, were required to be quarantined for an extended period. Now, just in case you haven't connected those dots, it kind of sounds a little bit familiar. Uh, I'm just saying that uh, the Bible very clearly tells us there's nothing new under the sun. But, but here's the sad fact about leprosy. If you, if you had that disease, people believed that you had been cursed by God. And as a result, society just cut you off. You know, it's sad when people who are in need of our help most are the very ones that tend to get pushed aside. It happened back then, 
And sadly, it continues to happen today. One more point from the, the story of the leper. It's interesting to note the behavior of the leper. The leper had come to the end of his rope. He had no other options. He had heard about Jesus, so he sought Jesus out as the avenue of last resort. Here's the big picture. There is really only one source of healing for sin, and it's Jesus Christ. And to get this source of healing, you've got to come to the end of your rope and realize that Jesus is the only one who can answer your need. The leper represents the sinner who finally realizes that Jesus is your only hope. Now let's take a look at quickly at the story of the paralytic. You know, that's an interesting story. Uh, when, when I take a look at that story and I kind of step back, for me, there, there are four groups that are inside of this story that are interesting to look at. Here are the four groups. Uh, the group, the first is the, the crippled man that needed the help. Then there's the crowd that hindered the help. Then there's the crew that provided the help. And then there are the critics that questioned the help. Well, let's take a quick look at each of these groups. Uh, the crippled man that needed the help. Sometimes, when it comes to dealing with what is truly troubling us, we just need a help at hand. Just like the leper in the first story, Jesus is going to respond to a person who had no other hope. This man, paralyzed, was in desperate need of hope. Kind of interesting because that points to the next group, the, the crowd that hindered the help. You know, that crowd was pretty self-focused. That, that, that crowd, it was, it was all about me and my rights and what I think is best for me. That's a crowd that the Bible speaks so often against. That's a crowd that, that Paul says, put the needs of others above your own. That, that crowd tends to forget that biblical principle. Why? Because that crowd represents the group that wants everything that Jesus has, but on their own terms. It's kind of like going to the supermarket looking for toilet paper and getting stuck at the back of the crowd. I hope you're not down to your last row because that's a bad position to be in because the crowd was hindering the help. But that next group, that next group comes to the rescue. It's, it's the crew that provided the help. For me, they're the stars of this, this story because it they took it upon themselves to provide a helping hand to a friend that was in need. Now, I hope we all have friends like that, people that are willing to sacrifice of themselves to help someone else, people who see obstacles as just an opportunity to demonstrate their love. You know, we have tons of people like that here at West Park, and, and I'm so grateful for that. All, all we need to say is, here's the need, and they're there to say, what can we do to help? We could not do ministry without those folks here at West Park, the crew that provided the help. But sadly, we've got that last crew, 
We've got that last group of people, the critics that questioned the health. Now, there's, there's that group that makes life difficult for all of us. And you know what's funny? You know what's really funny? <laughs> they tend to pretend, they, they, they pretend to have our best interests in mind, or unless they say so. Uh, they, but what they're really wanting to do is to, to pull the wool over our eyes. Uh, they want to keep us in the dark because that is their true motivation. The Bible calls them hypocrites. You know, when I looked at this passage of Scripture, do you know this is the first time in Luke's gospel that he makes a reference to the Pharisees. Uh, too bad it's not the last time. But when it comes to those issues of being hypocritical, there's the Pharisees. But, but, but what really pops out in this story is this. And here's the, the big picture point for the story of the paralytic. To deal with the issues we face in life, we need some help. Now let's get to that last uh, story. It's the story of the tax collector. Now the main character of this final story is Levi. Of course, we all know Levi as Matthew. Now, of all the characters that we've talked about in these, these stories to this point, I, I really find Matthew to be the most intriguing. You see, Matthew had problems not because he had an incurable physical ailment. Uh, Matthew was not only despised because he was a religious hypocrite. No, Matthew was hated primarily because of what he did for a living. And what he did for a living demonstrated what was truly ruling in his heart. Matthew had exchanged his allegiance from what was his by birthright to become aligned with the kingdom of the world. Now, how did he do this? Matthew did this. He made this exchange by eating of the forbidden fruit of earthly riches. And to obtain these riches, he had forsaken everything that was right and holy. He had become a tax collector so that he may indulge in the riches of this world. Now, what did Jesus say about making this kind of exchange? Well, in Matthew 16, 26, Jesus said, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Let me talk to you a little bit about tax collectors. Tax collectors were extortionists. They used the fear of being ratted out to the Roman officials to skim the cream off the top. They were bullies. They had means of intimidation that involved using others to do their dirty work so that their hands would not get dirty. They were the first loan sharks. They would offer high-interest payday loans to people who could not make ends meet any other way. And they were first-rate liars. You know how you could tell when a tax collector was lying? 
His lips were moving. You could not trust anything that was coming out of their mouths. They were by far the worst of society and at the bottom of the social ladder. In fact, because of what they had become, most people considered them to be the worst of sinners. But then, here comes Jesus. You know, Jesus is always messing up our sense of self-righteousness. And you know, I'm glad he did. And you know why? Because there may just be a little bit of Matthew in each and every one of us. I know we don't want to admit it or even think about it. But from God's perspective, which one of you out there is able to cast the first stone at Matthew? After all, listen to what Brother James writes about us, who are so proud that we aren't like the Matthews of the world. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. That's right, my brothers and sisters. If we're going to stand on our own sense of self-righteousness, uh, if we fail in even the smallest aspect of the law, we are eternally doomed. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that our Lord called and saved Matthew. You know, if he could save Matthew, he could save me. If he could save Matthew, he could save you. And you know what? When Matthew got saved, oh, oh, what a change it made in his life. The, the story declares that he left everything behind. He realized that after making his decision for Christ, there was no turning back. I love the additional insight Matthew provides in his own gospel about the, the impact Jesus had on his life. Matthew 9.13 says, uh, uh, when, when Jesus called him, he says, go and learn what this means to be called by the master who desires mercy and, and not sacrifice because he had come to call not the righteous, but he come to call sinners to repentance. Oh, what a change it made in the life of Matthew. And, and, and then Matthew does something that's just marvelous to me. After he was saved, he immediately began to share his story with others. For when you have truly been called by the master, you just can't keep your mouth shut. You've you got to tell somebody the story. Here's the big picture point out of Matthew's little story. Jesus came to save sinners who are like Matthew. Now, now that, that brings me to my second point of uh, Jesus' authority to forgive. These, these stories are telling us that people need healing, spiritually and physically. Uh, people have obstacles to overcome that are comprised of other people and, and other institutions. But people also need a framework for recovery. 
we need to reject what the world offers as solutions and become part of the solution offered by God. Jesus is writing this big picture through Luke of what it means uh, to attract, to address the big issues in our life. And what is that big issue? The big issue is sin. The theme of curing sin runs throughout each of these stories. Uh, Verse 12 for the leper says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The the full meaning of that word clean is is not only cleansing from physical issues, but it's spiritual issues as well. The paralytic in verse 21, uh, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can't forgive sins but God alone? And then the tax collector, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And and if we separate Jesus' authority to forgive sins away from his acts of healing, we've made a big mistake. Jesus uses healing as one of the means to authenticate his identity as Lord. You know, I, I believe that today what so often is labeled as healing is simply a means of disguise for deception. Jesus' gift of healing people physically was used ultimately to lead them to the greatest healing of all, the healing of their sin-sick souls. You know, when I take a look at all of the people that Jesus healed during his ministry on earth, there's two things they have in common. First thing, they're all physically dead today. Any physical healing that occurs in this life is only short-term. Second, they all had their sin issues addressed. These people may be physically dead right now and in their graves, but their redeemed souls are with the Lord. And look, the the scribes and the Pharisees didn't miss the point about what Jesus was asserting. And, And I pray that we don't as well. The healings that took place in these stories is truly significant and praiseworthy. But it takes backstage to what we see as the star of these encounters. The the star was not the disease. It it was not the emotional trauma or the interpersonal conflict or the financial struggle. The problem was sin. And, And Jesus healed with this end in mind to demonstrate his authority to address what is truly broken with humanity. It's sin. And only God can forgive sin. The Bible gives testimony to that, and the scribes and the Pharisees were acutely aware of the fact that only God can forgive sin. And I'm so glad that God can. Uh, Look what the Bible says in Exodus 34. Uh, Verses 6 through 7, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, 
and sin. Psalm 86, 5, for, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Jeremiah 31, 34, I will forgive their iniquities and their sin I will remember no more. And just one more. Micah 7, 8. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellion, rebellious act of the remnants of his position? Make no mistake about it. Physical healing is a good thing. But for Jesus, the point was to use the healing as a way to authenticate his message of being Lord even over sin. Now, if we don't understand the root cause of our problem, we can't ever get people the help that they truly need. We've got to stop sending people to the 12-step programs that may provide some good things but never address the core issue of their problems. The, the scribes and the Pharisees had developed an extensive network of man-made solutions that only led people into ever-increasing levels of bondage. That's what Jesus said when, in Matthew 23, verse 15, when he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you have made him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. That was the game for the Pharisees, to drive people into further bondage. But Jesus says, I have come to set the captive free. I have come to call people out of darkness into the marvelous light. And that's point number three. Jesus' authority to call. Now, Jesus is calling men and women to continue to carry on the ministry of addressing the sick and their needs, both physically and spiritually. That, that's part of our, our role as ambassadors for Christ. And if you are an ambassador for Christ, you are to recognize that there are only two kinds of people in the world. There are just two kinds of people in the world. Those that are spiritually sick and those who have been spiritually healed. Our job is to join in Christ, with Christ and to minister to both. For those who are spiritually sick, Jesus is still drawing people out of the darkness of their sins into the blessed light of his salvation. And we have the glorious opportunity to join in with him. But also, we have the opportunity to, to work with those who have been drawn out of darkness, but for whatever reason, find themselves in periods of darkness. And so I want to close out our time this morning to share a bit about one of our ministries here at West Park that has as its primary focus the objective of, of ministering to people who find themselves into, uh, slay, into sins that are bonding them uh, from their freedom in Christ. The ministry that I want to speak with uh, about this morning is called Renewal, and it's led by Scott Williams, who's one of the elders of our church. Uh, when the Renewal community gathers uh, weekly, they recite Romans 6.6, 6, 
together. Here's Romans 6.6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Recently, uh, the, the members of Renewal were used by the Lord to minister to a man who had lapsed back into a lifestyle of drug addiction. It really was a, a story of life and death. And the man who was in the middle of this story has given me permission to share this uh, this morning. The story begins one evening when two of our renewal members who faithfully support the ministry sacrificially obeyed the prompting of the Holy Spirit to get into their car to have a time of fellowship with this man because they knew he was struggling in his battle to experience freedom from his enslaving habit. Now, upon tracking the man down uh, where he was living, when, the, when, our, when our renewal members found him, the man was suffering an overdose right there in their presence. Just think about that. If they had not obeyed the prompting of the Holy Spirit to get into their car and to go look for this man, he would have been all alone during this episode, and there's no doubt about it. He would have died. But, but by the grace and mercy and power of God, our, our people were there to minister to him in his time of need. The first thing they did was to call first responders, and, and they came to the scene and, and began to administer emergency uh, procedures. The man was revived and rushed to the hospital. Word was sent out to the renewal community, and immediately people began to pray for his recovery. Pastor Scott initiated a conference call to, to talk specifically about everything that was needed to minister effectively to the man. A plan was devised and steps taken to get the man to a recovery ministry that uses biblical principles to lay out the path to freedom. Over the next 24 hours, the Lord blessed the ministry in their efforts to work out a financial plan to cover the $9,400 required to place the man in treatment. At each step along the way, Satan was actively engaged to destroy the plan and keep this man in bondage. For instance, out of the blue, Satan organized an attack to bring the entire rescue effort to a halt. We were informed that in order for the man to be accepted into treatment, it was required that he had to demonstrate that he was COVID-19 negative. And the only way to do that was to organize a rapid test program to get that paperwork in hand declaring that the man was virus-free. Now, this may have caught us off guard, but it didn't catch the Lord off guard. He knew that this test was going to be needed before any of us were even born. And he already had the solution. One of the members of the Renewal Leadership Group is a medical doctor who was able to serve as the miracle hands of the Lord. Doc was able to address us to the right resources at the right time to get that rapid test taken and available. Just as the man was released from the hospital, the test 
results were made available, and we were able to get the man into treatment because he was COVID-free. But the story continues on. The, the last hurdle was to get the man over to the treatment facility. Once again, two of our members here at West Park who support renewal agreed to drive the man to the treatment facility. It's an eight-hour long trip. But these two men, with the shortest of notice, rearranged their busy schedules to come to the aid of a brother in need. And I'm, I'm glad to share with you that right now this man is doing exceptionally well. And we can't wait to get him back in our fellowship so that he can tell his story. Why do I tell you this? I tell you this because we continue to need people to join in with us here at West Park. Uh, to become part of our ministries of helping others. Scott uh, needs additional uh, help in renewal. He's, he's training people on Wednesday nights on what they can do to be effective in that ministry. If you're interested, please reach out to Scott. He needs your help, as well as other ministries here at West Park. These stories that we have just talked about uh, under the, the subject of a man of authority, just tells us that Jesus continues to work today. Why? Because he has the authority to heal. He has the authority to forgive. And Jesus has the authority to call. He's calling an army of ambassadors to continue on the mission to heal the sick. Let's get on with it. Let's pray. Our Father and our God is as we come to the end of this worship time together, we recognize, Lord, that the mission continues. And we are so grateful to be called under the authority of Christ to be his ambassadors to a sin-sick world that desperately needs him. Lord, continue to be with those who have decided to make Jesus their choice, who are coming out of darkness into the marvelous light. And for those that have already taken that step, Encourage them, Lord, to continue on to be the helping hands of those that so desperately need their assistance. We thank you again, Lord, for all that you do. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had to worship you. We ask, Lord, that you continue to bless and to guide and direct. For it's in Christ's name we pray.